listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. And would you rise now and stand with me for the reading of Scripture? I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So uh, when I was a kid, I loved, I was obsessed with, more than loved, obsessed with choose-your-own-adventure books. Do any of you remember these? Okay, a few of you, great. So the way it would work, you'd, you'd read the book and you know, you'd start out on page one like you do with most books. And as you got a little bit further in, you'd be asked to make a decision. Do you, you know, if you choose A, go to page whatever. If you choose B, go to this other page. And the decisions you made kind of unfolded the plot line a little bit differently, obviously based on your choices. I love these books. And you know, you'd always find yourself in these circumstances where it's like, okay, you're hiking in the wilderness, Right? You're, you're hiking and you're out of water, so do you follow the trail and hope to come across water? If so, turn to page 57. So you turn to page 57 and you read page 57 and it says, you don't find water, you die of exhaustion. It's like, all right, well, done with that book. No, you, you go back to the previous page and you're like, the other choice was to try to take a shortcut. So you take a shortcut, you get lost, you wander in the woods and die of exposure. Like, okay. I guess you have to go a couple of steps back. It's like, or you're in a bike race and it starts to rain and you have a choice. Do you stop and put on a jacket uh, to keep yourself from getting cold or you just keep powering through and you're like, oh, I'm going to stop. I'm going to put on the jacket. That's a smart thing to do. And your arch rival blows right on by you because he didn't stop. He wins the race and eventually you die a bitter old man full of broken dreams. Or you stop or you keep going. Excuse me. You don't stop. You keep going. You get hypothermia and you die. Um, this is how the book would end. Or, or, you know, you're chasing the giant squid in your homemade submarine, and the giant squid is just, you see it, and it's going deeper, and you're like, I have a choice. Do you surface because your submarine can't handle it, or do you follow the giant squid? And you play it safe, you surface, never to return and die a bitter old man. Or you chase the giant squid into depths that your submarine can't handle, you get crushed like a tin can, and you die. Um... Books were a lot rougher in the 80s, I think. <laughs> and I love these books, but I, I, what, I had this surefire way to beat the book, to win the game. Start at the back, find the ending you wanted to end up at, and then reverse engineer your way there, right? So the ending where you, uh, you, know, you survive the wilderness, you win the race, you catch the giant squid, whatever, that's on page 109. So then you flip through the book and you find all the pages that tell you to turn to page 109. And then you, you make a list of those pages and then you flip through the book again, you find all the pages that tell you to go to those pages. All of my copies of these books had maps in the front that I had made showing how to find my way through the book Upon reflection, I don't think I was all that interested in choosing my own adventure. I, I wanted to beat the puzzle to find the one way to the one ending where you don't die. Now, in, in these two verses, 
Jesus is doing the same thing that I did with those choose-your-own-adventure books, starting at the ending and saying, you know, what kind of ending are we looking for? The one where we die? The one where we live? And then working his way backwards to the start of the book and saying, hey, there's a thousand ways to die in the wilderness. There's a thousand ways to go wrong to find the wrong ending. There's only one path through the book. There's only one way through to the right ending. I mean, you just heard the verses read. The way is easy that leads to destruction. The way is hard that leads to life. Well, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes here this morning pouring over these two verses, uh, taking our time to kind of marinate in them because there's one, you know, there's one huge idea that I want you to walk away with this morning. Just like in those choose-your-own-adventure books, you may get to a page and think you're just making a choice. You're just choosing between two options. But what you're really doing is choosing a path. You're not just making a decision. You are marking a destination. And as we are getting now to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the question for us is not... Oh, what should I do with what Jesus has been teaching here? Do I, should I think about it? Maybe apply it? Maybe not. The question is, where do you want to go? Where do you want to end up? Because there's two paths. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. If you start at the end and work your way forward, which path do you want to choose? Let's jump in. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, it's on page 965, if you're grabbing the Bible there, that's underneath the seat in front of you. As you're, you're turning there, I'm, I want to take a moment to uh, resituate ourselves in the sermon as a whole. This is the 22nd time that we've said, hey, turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And after that long kind of looking at the details, it's easy to sort of forget the whole picture of of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in this discipleship manifesto, his, his guide for what life in the kingdom of God looks like. So we started um, at the beginning, uh, where you should, started at the beginning with the Beatitudes where Jesus laid out kind of a paradoxical way of understanding what, what flourishing looks like, what blessedness looks like. He said, I, I know it's easy to think, well, blessing is when good things come your way. But he says, true flourishing for the person who's following Jesus uh, is most often kind of grown in soil that we would otherwise say is not that appealing. Real flourishing comes when you find yourself in circumstances where you have to make peace or you're being persecuted or where you're being oppressed or where you're grieving. Because for somebody following Jesus, living in light of the coming kingdom that Jesus is the king of, grows in the citizenship of that kingdom through these more difficult circumstances. It's a paradox. And he moved from the Beatitudes, the introduction to the sermon, into the main body of the sermon and, and worked his way up to this, this kind of big point that... Uh, if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness needs to not just be, you know, good, but greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
Now, that's not just a command, like, be good enough and I'll let you into heaven. That is a grace-filled offer, an invitation into the way of the kingdom, into the way of righteousness, lived as discipleship in response to Jesus' grace. But he's also not letting us off the hook. He's saying, you know, you can't enter the kingdom and then decide not to live in the kingdom. you got to do both. Enter into this kingdom and live like you're part of it, grow as a citizen of this kingdom. And so, you know, we watched him for weeks as he went through saying, hey, there's, there's this law that came from the Old Testament that I know we kind of think of it as something to guide our behavior, but it's, it's always meant to do more than that. It's meant to drive down into our hearts and force us to ask, like, why don't I want to live this way? And as he, he's gone through six different examples of the Old Testament law and said, hey, this isn't really about external behavior. It's about internal motivation. This isn't really about external righteousness. It's about internal righteousness. It finally culminated at the end of chapter 5 with this high point of saying, hey, if you're one of my followers, you must be perfect is the word our English translations use. But it's more like wholeheartedly oriented towards God. If you're going to follow me, you can't just follow me on the outside. you got to follow me on the inside, too. Your heart has to be oriented towards me, not just your behavior. And after, you know, driving us to that point by showing us all the wrong ways we apply the law to our lives, he then shifts and says, and, and you know, as you're trying to get to know God, as you're trying to love God and serve God, there's things that you do that we all just take for granted that religious people do, and you could do those things for the wrong reason, Verse 6, hey, don't give to the poor to make yourself look good. Uh, chapter 6, I mean, don't, uh, don't fast just so that you can store up some resources and indulge later or so that people can see that, oh, you're one of the righteous ones who fast. Don't pray in public places so that people can see you as someone who's, you know, the praying type. In other words, he's saying, look, be righteous. Don't just look righteous. Be wholly oriented towards God. Don't just look like someone who is oriented towards God. That's going through chapter 6 before he, he shifts from those three kind of main ways of, of living out our relationship or living towards our relationship with God, you know, with the high points of, of the Lord's Prayer right there in the middle of it. And then says, okay, now this greater righteousness, let's talk about how does that work itself out in daily life? in the anxieties you have, the things that you have, the relationships you're in. How do you relate to one another in a whole, you know, congruent way, not just externally, superficially? And works his way all the way through that, culminating the whole body of the sermon in what we call the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Like, that's how the whole law and the prophets work. And then, finally, he starts the conclusion like a good preacher, he says, let me wrap up with this. Of course, it's going to take him three weeks to wrap up, or take us three weeks to get through the wrap up. Uh, but he begins to conclude the Sermon on the Mount, having instructed us in greater righteousness and how it works itself out in our lives. Now he's going to say, look, you have a choice to take seriously what I've just taught through this whole sermon or to continue to live with this false righteousness, this external righteousness, this inner conflict between, you know, who you are and who you're expected to be. So, verses 
13 and 14 begin the conclusion. They give us the first of three uh, metaphors or examples from everyday life, all building on this theme of whole person righteousness. You know, there's two paths, Jesus says in, in 13 and 14. And then in 15 through 23, he says there's two kinds of prophets. And in, in verses 24 through 27, there's two kinds of builders. And in all three of these examples, he's highlighting a radical difference between what you can see on the outside and what is actually true, what's really going on on the inside. Be careful which path you walk down. It may look good, but if it ends poorly, it's not a good path. Be careful which prophet you listen to. He may be powerful, but if he's telling you false things, he's not good. Be careful where you build. You can build a great house on a bad foundation, but it's not going to last. So be careful which path you choose. Now that, that's the metaphor that we start with in verses 13 and 14. Let's, we'll, we'll jump in. We'll look at these two paths. Both verses, the whole thing, enter by the narrow gate to command. You all, you all listening to me, enter by the narrow gate. Because there's a gate that's wide... It leads to a way that's easy, and it leads to destruction. Those who enter into it are many. On the other hand, there's also a gate that's narrow, this narrow gate. I just commanded you to enter into. There's a gate that's narrow in a way that is hard, but it leads to life. Those who find it are few. I mean, Jesus couldn't be more stark in how he lays out uh, the contrast between these two types of gates or, or paths. Starting with that command, you all enter by the narrow gate. Now, the last time he told us to enter something was way back in chapter 5 at the sort of big idea of the whole sermon when he said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Entering the narrow gate, entering the kingdom of heaven, he's referring to the same thing. You might remember... <laughs> from 22 weeks ago, that when we introduced this whole sermon, it came in the context of Matthew setting up the sermon by, by showing us Jesus saying to people like, hey, repent, turn away, come to this other path because the kingdom of heaven is near. Like it's right here. The kingdom that you have been waiting for God to bring back to earth is right at hand. And he went around, Matthew says, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And great crowds were drawn to him, and then the crowds follow him up the mountain, and he says, this is, what, this is the kingdom. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. This is all built into, it's all part of the, the Jewish belief, Jesus' belief that, that informs uh, our faith that one day God, his rule and his reign is not just some celestial thing up in heaven, but God's rule and his reign will return to earth as it was intended from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden where God reigned on this earth and we were good citizens of his kingdom. That rule is coming back. In fact, Jesus says, actually, it's coming back in me. It's, it's here. It's right here. So if you're going to follow me, because by following me, you become a citizen of that kingdom that is coming from the future, then it's time to learn how to live like you're part of that kingdom. But now, live as if you, you care what God wants 
as if you want to be like what God is like. Live out what God is going to do when he returns. But live it out now. And so Jesus, as he begins to wrap up the whole sermon, comes to the very end. He says, look, here's, here's the call. Here's the command. Here's the, the exhortation. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter the kingdom of heaven by the narrow way. By coming to this kingdom through the Messiah. Now, I said it already. I'm going to say it again and probably at least one more time before the sermon is over. For Jesus... Entering the kingdom and living in the kingdom are inextricably linked. You cannot enter into the kingdom and not live as part of it and grow as a citizen of the kingdom. You cannot separate the two. And so a, a faith, a faith in Jesus that engenders within you no motivation toward wholehearted obedience to God turns out in Jesus' estimation to be no faith at all. In the same way that a life that tries to live out kingdom ideals without submitting itself to the king of that kingdom is a false life itself. It's an external righteousness like that of the Pharisees. So Jesus' call to enter by the narrow gate is about this whole scope of salvation. Come to him and his free gift by grace through faith in him, and respond with the discipleship and the faithfulness that he calls us to as citizens of this kingdom. Entering into the kingdom. This is how we as, as followers of Jesus live in anticipation of that kingdom that is coming, that God has promised will return to earth. Uh, living in light of who God is, what he wants, what he will do when he returns. So, giving this command, enter by the narrow gate, he immediately pivots to a warning. Enter by the narrow gate. Because you all know, right, that there's a wide gate, too. You, you see the pivot. He says, enter by the narrow gate because there's a gate that's wide, big old wide open doors, and a way that is easy. Other translations may say broad or spacious. But if you go in the, the wide open, good looking, easy to travel path, the end is destruction. Now, don't hear destruction like, like condemnation. Like Jesus says, hey, if you choose the easy road, I'm going to be mad at you and I'm going to have to punish you. That's not what he's saying. What he's, what he's saying is more like the warning signs you see on you know, industrial machinery. right? You, have you seen the signs that say, this machine does not have a brain, so please use yours? right? Or warning, this will kill you and it will hurt the whole time you're dying. <laughs> right? Those, those are intended to condemn you. They're just saying, like, this is not the way to life. Don't, if you want to live, don't touch this. <laughs> if you want to not die, then don't mess with this without, you know, thinking about it. It's, it's not condemning. It's a warning. It's saying it's an appeal to your own self-interest, right? Only an idiot would look at it and go, pain sounds nice right now. No, he's saying, what kind of ending do you want? You know, the kind that, like, life or destruction? What kind of ending do you want? Well, there's a way of living in light of that. Now, that's, 
the wide, the easy way that leads to destruction, and he says many find it in verse 13, but there's another road, there's a, a narrower road, a more difficult road to take in verse 14. He says, look, there's also this narrow gate, right? There's the wide gate, wide open, easy way, grass-covered, idyllic landscape, just looks beautiful. It's all downhill. It goes right off a cliff. But hey, until the cliff part, it's awesome. Well, there's also a gate that's narrow in a way that is hard. But it leads to life. Those that find it are few. I mean, obviously, you see the contrast, wide and easy, versus if, if you grew up uh, in Awana in the King James, you know, the straight and narrow. The old straight and narrow way. Uh, except it's not straight as in a straight line. It's straight as in a straitjacket, constricting. See, the words translated here as narrow and hard to the Jewish mind carry all these ideas of being cramped, confined, distressed, troubled, ultimately leading to oppression and affliction and persecution, which does not sound like the kind of road you want to go down. You're hiking in the woods, and you're like, hey, do you want to take the easy downhill path to the campsite or that one where you have to shimmy your way like through a crevasse or something like that and then work your way sideways all the way through, stepping on rocks and tripping and falling the whole way? Um, which one do you want? This is, again, part of the paradox of how Jesus has taught from the very beginning. The Beatitudes says one looks good and ends bad. One looks bad and ends good. Think it out. Think this through. The easy way leads to destruction. The difficult way, the conflicting, narrow, confining, tight, cramped way leads to life. And again, paradoxically, it's the confining way that, leads, that actually leads to life, that opens up into the life that we're looking for. Now, I want to take a minute to clear up maybe some misconceptions about what Jesus means by the wide way or the easy way versus the, you know, the straight and narrow, the, the, the difficult way. If we were to consider these two verses just on their own, you know, outside of the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, maybe just coming to these uh, without considering Jesus' appeal to you know, a greater righteousness, a whole, wholehearted, whole life, whole orientation towards God, uh, then we'd probably think of the wide way, the easy way, as, you know, the way of loose living, loose morals. Uh, it's the path you take when you just, you're just worried about yourself. You want to make yourself happy. You don't care about what God has to say. You don't care about what others have to say. You're just, you know, you're doing whatever you want to make yourself happy. On the flip side, then, the constraining way, you know, the old straight and narrow, is the way of, like, moral rigor, where you're really keeping yourself, you're working hard to keep yourself pure, you're self-sacrificing, all the self-denial. It's the way of duty and obedience and, and Christian sacrifice. And there's, there's a long tradition of thinking of these verses that way. But we just spent 21 weeks reading the rest of the sermon. So I want to read these in light of the whole thing, the rest of what Jesus is talking about, because I don't think he's trying to communicate that, hey, one way is just you doing whatever you want, and the other way is the good Christian way, self-sacrifice. That's not what he's saying. 
the wide way is not the way of loose morals and loose living or whatever you want to call it. The wide way, the easy way, is the way of the Pharisees. It's the way of the scribes. It's the way of the people that everyone else would look at and say, wow, those guys are the most righteous people there are. Jesus is saying that's the easy path. The easy path of external righteousness, easily defined, easily measured, can be done just totally under your own, your own power, your own compulsion. All you have to do is like not murder people and not sleep around. And a few other things. Keep your promises that Jesus talked about. The wide and the easy way isn't throwing off all moral restraints. It's living under self-imposed moral restraints that come from that surface-level desire to look good without being good, to look righteous without actually being righteous, to continue to act as if you're righteous without growing in internal, real righteousness, greater righteousness. That's the wide and easy way, the way of living out your own sort of set of rules to make God happy. The, the narrow way, the difficult way, is Jesus' way of true righteousness, a way that's difficult because it requires a constant renovation of the heart, constantly submitting your own internal motivations uh, to God, saying, do whatever it takes to make me righteous instead of just giving me good circumstances so I can act righteous. The difference between the wide way and the narrow way is the same difference that Jesus has been drilling into over and over and over again in this sermon. It's easy to live righteously if you're only measuring it by external behavior. Conformity is easy. Just about every guy in here is wearing a button-up shirt. Right? Conformity is easy. We do it every day. We conform the way we look, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we act. We conform so much of our lives to the expectations and the, the sort of social norms of those around us. Conformity is easy. Now, that doesn't mean that the right thing to do is throw off all social norms and all of that because then you're just trading one set of cheerleaders for another. Instead of making you all happy, I'm just making me happy. That's, that's not the right way either. Uh, but conformity, I mean, in the end, all you have to do is do the right thing and avoid anyone, any place, or any person who makes you want to do the other way. It's a whole lot more difficult to live into Jesus' vision of righteousness, a righteousness that is more than just behavior, a righteousness that is deeper than just what people can see. So as we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has, has drilled into this greater, greater righteousness over and over and over again, he's now getting us to the point of considering, okay, if all that's true, then there's really only two choices, two paths for us to walk down. Either we reject the grace of God in Jesus, live into our own little kingdoms dedicated to ourselves, and, and serve ourselves by conforming to whatever social and, and ethical norms uh, will make the people we want to impress and happy with us, or 
we cast ourselves onto the grace of God in Jesus. We live into his kingdom. You have to live in some kingdom. You're either going to live in his, yours, or some other idols. Those are your choices. You have to live in some kingdom. So we can, we can cast ourselves onto the grace of God in Jesus, live into his kingdom wholeheartedly, dedicated to him, and serve him by responding to his grace with wholehearted discipleship offering our lives as living sacrifices, being conformed in action and in heart to the image of Jesus. Two choices, two paths. Jesus says, let's flip to the end of the book. One of them ends in life. One of them ends in destruction. And then he appeals to our self-interest. He says, which one do you want? I mean, honestly, which one do you want? Where do you want to end up? He's presenting us with a choice as he begins the conclusion to this whole long sermon. You can ignore his words, ignore the Sermon on the Mount, or even worse, use his words as a, as a tool to guilt trip you into trying harder to make your external righteousness better. That's, that's the wrong way to use his words. Uh, you can ignore his call to that, you know, that greater, that heart-deep, wholehearted righteousness that grows from living as a follower of Jesus. And the end is destruction, or you have the choice. Embrace his invitation to wise growth in whole-person righteousness, even though it's harder. It's more difficult. It's more constraining. It's, it's the more constricting way. But paradoxically, you find life. You find life. You find the actual, the true, the, the enduring blessedness that he talked about way back at the beginning of chapter 5. The actual flourishing that your heart is longing for, that everything in you desires. That flourishing is not found by following the easy path. Because any flourishing, any comfort along the way is ultimately worthless at the end when the path goes off the cliff. The flourishing is found in the narrow and constraining way that as you follow it, find to be more, even more spacious than you could ever need. There's more freedom in the constricting way than there is in the wide open way. So you have a choice. Jesus says it's up to you. One way leads to life, one, la one way leads to destruction. Which, which do you want to choose? Now, I, I don't know where each of you are individually today. Um, I do know that you, you have to make a choice. To not choose is to choose the easy way. Uh, the easy way, he says, yeah, you just kind of wander your way in through that gate, but the narrow gate is the one that you have to find, you have to search for. So, you may decide not to make a choice, but, you know, you still made a choice. You have to choose uh, something. You can't not choose. Uh, so if you've, if you've heard the words of Jesus here and you've never chosen to live in his kingdom through his, his gift of grace to you, then Jesus is challenging you. He's saying, hey, I've, I've laid out what, what real human life looks like, what real flourishing looks like. Not through human wisdom, he says, but through him, through me, meaning Jesus, says, this is what real flourishing looks like. Do you, do you want that? It's not easy, 
but it's good? Or do you want the way that looks easy? And if you've heard the words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mountain, and you've chosen to accept his grace, and a lot of us are there, but some of us may be here in this place where we've chosen to accept his grace. In other words, we've entered into the kingdom, but we think living in the kingdom means do your best to be good, don't commit any of the real major public sins, and when you die, Jesus will take you to heaven. It's like, well, that's not the whole story either. I've already said it twice, and I told you I'd say it a third time, that for Jesus, entering into the kingdom and living in the kingdom are inextricably linked. You cannot separate the two any more than you can move into a house and not have that house shape the way you live. You can't just enter into the kingdom and then say, well, I'm good until the end. Jesus looks at that kind of faith and says, you know, I'm not really sure you understand what it means to enter the kingdom. You know, his grace isn't just there to make us feel better. So Jesus says, you know, enter by the, the narrow gate. It's the only one that, that leads to life. Entering into and living in the kingdom of God wisely flourishing through whole person, wholehearted, whole life orientation towards God, towards his character, his will, his, his future kingdom. That's, that's the only path through the book that leads to the right ending, the difficult way of whole person righteousness. So how are you doing walking that path? Last spring, the whole family, my wife Jenna, my daughter Anna and I, we all piled into the car to uh, set off for our last ever Awana camp out at Twin Lakes Campground. I know a lot of you have been there. It's awesome. It's our last one because our daughter, who wasn't even born when we moved here, is now in junior high, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but we were excited and ready to go. I'd prepped the whole evening devotional talk and was ready to give it, and I thought it was pretty good, so I was excited to you know, really change some kids' lives and all that. Um, so we jumped into the car, pulled up the GPS, I typed in Twin Lakes, and I hit the first option that showed up. <laughs> Twin Lakes Recreation Center in Bloomington is not the same thing as Twin Lakes Campground in Hillsboro. And a hour and a half long drive turned into a three and a half hour long drive. And we went from zero tears and frustration to all the tears and frustration, and Subway instead of camp food. That part was nice. Because <laughs> I thought I was just making a choice. You know, Twin Lakes, tap the button, go. Easy choice. Turns out I was choosing a path that cost a lot of time and gas. But here's the thing about going in the wrong direction. As long as you're not at the end, the right direction is simply 180 degrees, like right where you are. 
You don't have to go back to the starting point to then go in the right direction. You don't have to undo everything wrong you've done in your life. If you've been going down the way of self-righteousness for years, for decades, you don't have to undo all of that in order to get back to the point where you can then choose the narrow gate. The paradoxical thing about Jesus' two paths is that no matter how far you go down the easy way, when you turn around, the narrow gate is still right there. It never gets any farther away. You can have lived decades serving yourself and hear Jesus say, hey, do you want to keep going that way and end up in destruction, or do you want to turn now and find the narrow gate and go through it? And you can turn around and find it right there. In the Choose Your Own Adventure books, you have to go all the way back to page one and try to remember what wrong choices you made earlier to get to the right ending. Jesus is saying, look, you're, always, you're just one page. You're one gate away from the path that leads to life. He says, embrace the path that leads to life. Or better yet, embrace him. He is the way that leads to life. Father, you've set before us a choice, two paths, two ways of responding to Jesus' claim to be the king of the coming kingdom to be the one through whom our heart's deepest longings find their fulfillment and the one in whom we find flourishing in this life now while we anticipate full human flourishing in the kingdom to come. But Father, this is a decision we cannot make in our own strength, in our own will, or even in our own desire. So we pray, we ask that your goodness to us in the face of Jesus would overwhelm our hearts so that even our desires are drawn to you. Father, make us want to choose the way of life. And as we walk that way, keep us, keep us from despair in the difficulty. Help us to flourish as we're drawn closer to you. Pray in Jesus' name.